Hello, I'm Rich Terring. I never listen to Nerdology <laughs> because I am way too cool. But carry on listening, nerds. Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to Nerdology, and I'm joined for this episode by Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay. Hello. How's it going? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very well, and uh, very pleased to have you back on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Well, it's very kind of you to have me. I, um, I'm always happy to be here. Oh, well, that's good. Um, you are uh, making a bit of a name for yourself in the podcasting world <laughs> since you last came on. I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but I found a permanent home, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, you you are unofficially the, is it right to say you're the voice of reason on <laughs> Trek This Out? Uh, well, I try to be. It doesn't really work very well. Um, and I'm only the voice of reason on certain topics. Uh, I try and get them to behave slightly better than they might <laughs> otherwise do. Yeah, I think you've got your work cut out there. Uh, yeah, and well, my uh, comrade in arms, uh, Suki, appears to have decided to defect to the other side this week. So, uh, <laughs> um yeah, no, it's 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 a really lovely uh, group of folk, and we're really enjoying uh, just chatting. I think as much as anything. So oh, that's really cool. Hopefully, hopefully, other people are enjoying listening to it too. Yeah, would you like to just do a little plug for it before we get going, just so that yeah. you know, if anyone's interested, they might want to have a, a little listen. Absolutely. So this is a relatively new Star Trek podcast called Trek This Out. Uh, you can find us at Trek This Out Pod, I think, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, at the moment, we're covering uh, the new Picard series. Uh, so we get together and we have a chat um, and we talk about other people's feedback and all sorts of other stuff mm-hmm. um, and throw around our crazy theories about what may or may not be happening and usually disagree. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, really good fun thing. So hopefully... It is a lot of fun. It, to me, <laughs> it sounds like a group of mates going down the pub and chatting about the latest episode and it just happens to have been recorded. Well, yeah, yeah, I think that's what we're going for. So um, yeah. some of us have different areas of expertise and uh, usually one of us says something that the others haven't thought of before. Um, so mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully, like I say, uh, that comes across that we're having a good time. Well, I've subscribed, so you've got at least one listener. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you have very kindly come back on again. Um, we're, we're doing another Doctor Who um, we were chatting before we started recording and I, I said to you, I think this might be our last bit of Doctor Who for a while because as much as I love it, and hopefully you do too, um, we'd like to sort of branch out a bit. So I've got a few episodes lined up coming up fairly soon, which will be non-Doctor Who. So if you're getting a little bit fed up of the Doctor Who, don't worry. Uh, normal service will be resumed. And I'm sure we'll manage to throw in some random references to something that is not, in fact, Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Um, so I think you chose this one, didn't you? Is that right, if I remember right? Uh, yeah, we were just having a chat about uh, various things. And I, so I recently discovered The Eighth Doctor, um, mm. <laughs> which seems like a very odd thing to say, um, because most of the stuff that I came across, I, um, I listened to the Big Finish stories first. Yeah. Um, and I was always aware that there was this made-for-TV movie mm-hmm. um, and that it was a bit of a, a standout in the, the kind of history of Doctor Who. Mm. Um, and I had never quite got around to watching it. So this seemed like a good opportunity to, to kind of dig into that. Well, yeah, certainly. I mean, this 
if you're not quite so well versed with older who and you've only really been watching since the show came back in 2005 i guess really you need to go back to 1989 to really get the full story of this um so the the original series of doctor who finished in 1989 and was kind of rested in inverted commas so they were talking about bringing it back but there was never a date sort of set so it kind of just slowly faded away and uh but the fans never really uh let the bbc forget that they were still there and they were still very keen for more doctor who and there were a few different things coming up that were potential new starts for um and a new doctor who um and because the bbc had sort of rejigged its internal affairs you had two kind of separate factions that were potentially developing something that could clash with the other um there's a really good documentary on the the dvd it's called the seven year hitch and uh it's really worth a watch if you enjoyed the movie and you wanted to kind of get a bit of a gist of what it's all about but the, the long and short of it is that uh BBC um, Worldwide, which is the commercial arm, decided that they wanted to do a straight-to-DVD kind of mini-movie um, called The Dark Dimension, and they wanted to have Tom Baker as the lead and have a whole bunch of the old Doctors turning up as well. Um, and they figured that would be a good way of keeping the brand fresh and enabling them to, to sell more VHS tapes of the old stuff. Meanwhile... Um, the BBC had been in negotiations with various parties about potentially having a new series of Doctor Who. And one of those which really started to gather pace was a chap called Philip Siegel, who at that time was working for Amblin Entertainment, which is uh, Steven Spielberg's company. And he was born in the UK and then he moved to the States when he was still quite young. Uh, But he has really strong memories of watching An Unearthly Child, which is the first ever episode. And he was hooked from that point on. And he was desperate to make a new version of Doctor Who. So um, talks got going pretty well. And it looked as though there was the potential for a new series. So they negotiated for a, a new series. But it all, a lot of it relied on the money coming from the American side of things. And um, Alan Yentob, who was in charge at the time, went over a visit to Amblin Studios. And uh, so this Philip Siegel knew he was going to be there. So he grabbed him and gave him a guided tour of there. They had like something like 11 sound stages or something crazy like that. And Spielberg just happened to be there. So they had this chat and uh, Philip Siegel crowbarred in the whole Doctor Who thing. And uh, it kind of got going from there. So it looked like it was going to be this series and they developed this whole sort of Bible, which was like a backstory of, you know, the key points of Doctor Who lore. And they were going to sort of work from there and it was going to be quite full on. It was going to feature the the Doctor's father and all this random stuff about um, going on a a big sort of um, like a a quest to find his dad because his dad had gone missing. And, wow, um, this is very much yeah, the path all... not trod, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Um, oh. So that was sort of taking shape. Um, but, uh, then, of course, you had this whole Dark Dimension thing that was being developed, and that 
uh, effectively was killed off when Philip Siegel looked at the script. So they they had this conversation and he said, well, let me look at the script and if I'm happy with it, then you can go ahead and still do it. But he said it was dreadful. So that put the, the kibosh on that. But then events in the America kind of took a bit of a turn and uh, Steven Spielberg decided he didn't really want anything to do with this at all. So okay. um, Amblin withdrew their support for it. And in, uh, in, the, in an interview with him, he, uh, with Philip Siegel, he's saying that uh, he obviously didn't want to let on to the BBC that that was the case because he wanted to try and source funding from somewhere else. So it ended up going to Fox, who were the eventual uh, broadcaster. Okay. Um, but they didn't want a series. His contact at Fox was in charge of um, TV movies. So they kind of came up with this plan where they could unofficially say it was a potential backdoor pilot. And if the TV movie was a success and a ratings hit, then that would give them um, a sort of launch pad to go on and make a series from there. Um, So that's kind of how it came into being. it, it definitely. So I, I know there are some other shows that have kind of backdoor piloted through TV movies. I think mm. Buffy is probably the the most uh, pertinent example I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it it it's an anomaly within the canon. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, and the whole thing with um, having Sylvester McCoy at the start. Um, mm. It's unusual, and the producer on the BBC side of things who was very much trying to look after their intellectual property and not let the Americans go too crazy with it had real misgivings about having Sylvester McCoy back. She felt that he was very much synonymous with the end of the show and they didn't want to really have that connection with what at that time was considered a failure although a lot of fans really loved that era of the show. So it's um, interesting. I yeah. I don't think I knew he was in it um, mm. until obviously I saw the credits and I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and I had to do some maths in my head because I wasn't even entirely sure. Because like, he wasn't, I think, in my head who was seventh. Okay. So I think I thought Colin Baker was seventh, but I've obviously got them mm. around the wrong way, I think. That's because um, you're counting Peter Cushing. Oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, um, I was like, all oh, right, okay. Now, to be brutally frankly honest, Sylvester McCoy's Doctor is not somebody that I have a lot of experience of mm-hmm. because there is almost nothing about them that makes me want to watch <laughs> that era. Like, there are there are Doctors whom I, I think I find it easier to understand that I'm going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sylvester McCoy is a very distinct... He's wonderful and he's great in a lot of things. He's just quite distinct. Um, and therefore, his doctor, I'm going to assume, is usually quite unusual. And Well, yeah. I mean, when he first started, um, when he took on the role, I was a teenager at the time. And of course, being a teenager, you want to take everything very seriously. And uh, you're watching his first story and he's kind of clowning about and pratfalling and stuff and playing the spoons on a lady's bosom and you're thinking <laughs> yeah this isn't really for me and uh yeah that i, I think, think is usually what's put me off <laughs> yeah but um 
as because he had three series in the original run. Mm-hmm. After that first series and towards the tail end of that first series, Andrew Cartmel, who's the new script editor who came in, had this kind of plan to change the sort of perception of the Doctor to make him a bit more mysterious and uh, go a bit darker with it. And uh, okay. he he becomes a lot more interesting, I find, as you go into the series in the final season. I think he's really, really good. He really comes into his own. I know that there is generally a perception that Doctor Who was not necessarily in its finest hour, but then got better just before they cancelled it. So yeah. that would make some sense. Mm-hmm. I am um, so yeah, and I but I was so I was kind of so I was slightly surprised to see him. Um, and then he doesn't really say anything for quite what? a long time, and I suppose that says quite a lot about what I am used to in a Doctor that they talk to themselves yeah. or they talk to an inanimate object or they're they're. But I was kind of a bit like, is is there like some weird contractual issue whereby he's not allowed to say well, anything? Well, funny you should say that. Uh, in the documentary, the uh, BBC producer in charge mm. called Joe Wright said that she said, they sort of said, well, okay, he can be in it, but he can't be in it for very long and he mustn't say very much. <laughs> so, well, at least I was on the right track, him, I suppose. You know. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I suppose before we get into any more details, my yeah. biggest observation about this was that actually I didn't hate it at all. Um, okay. I, I've got a really fond spot for the Eighth Doctor. I think possibly mm. like through Big Finish in particular. Uh-huh. Um, I think Paul McGann. He's got a beautiful voice and he's not bad to look at. Um, <laughs> I did recently have this huge revelation about the fact that he's related to Stephen McGann, which shouldn't yeah, be surprising because they them, look well and they look identical. But I just, it just hadn't dawned on me at all until I had this revelation because the BBC mislabeled the photo. Um, and now that I've seen it, I can't believe I didn't notice it. Anyway, um, but so as I'm, a, I'm now in my mid-30s, so I did a lot of my television kind of formative watching in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But I think this may be the most 90s thing I have ever seen. <laughs> Everything about it is just... So nineties TV it really movie. Is. It really fact, is. Not even just TV movie. Like I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's very Terminator. That's mm-hmm. very Gremlins. That's very like there are all these references that just scream of that period of my childhood mm. to me, um, yeah. which is not an awful thing. No. It's just interesting. Um, You're talking about. Just... Sorry. No, no, go for it. You're talking about. Um... Paul McGann's brother. Yeah. He's got another brother who's also an actor called Mark McGann. Okay. And he also auditioned for the part of the Doctor. Really? <laughs> yeah. And up until fairly late in the day, the favourite to get the role of the Eighth Doctor was Liam Cunningham. I'm going to need to Google that face because I can't... You'll, you'll know him. If you see if you watch Game of Thrones, you'll know who he is. He's been in Doctor Who in, oh, okay. a, in a guest role. Um he is um oh god i forget what his character's name is in uh game of thrones but he is um i'm not the a game of thrones fan so you're, oh you're... okay all right fair enough so he he plays quite a, a big role in that um and you may have seen him in other stuff but yeah um he was uh up until fairly late in the game was the the favorite to take the role and then um the bbc side of things really really wanted Paul McGann and I think once Philip Siegel had seen Paul McGann that was it they 
they'd settled on him. Well, I, think, I think it's a great choice because he's I, a really good actor. He is. He's fabulous. And he sits really nicely inside that pantheon of, of doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously he's had less screen time than most of them. <laughs> but, yeah, I, like, I'm really glad he was involved. Um, mm. Yeah. Oh, one just before we get off the casting thing, Tony mm. Slattery, the comedian, he went up for it because his, <laughs> his star was in Ascendancy right at that point. And okay. um, there is, I don't know if it's still on online, but he put up a a reaction video of him watching his uh, his um, run through for the Doctor. So they, <laughs> they gave him a little script, and uh, he's he's just sat there going, "Oh my god, this is embarrassing! You're terrible! No, just shut up!" Um, so yeah, it's kind of amusing to watch. Yeah, I can imagine. I think, so we were speaking earlier about the road not travelled and mm. there is always an element of that, I think, in casting decisions. So like, it's like when I first saw the clips of uh, Genevieve Bujold as Captain Janeway. Um, I think that's her name. Um, but, and you just suddenly go, whoa, that would just have been so different. Mm. Um, or, you know, the plot lines that don't happen because there's a writer strike or because they run out of money or... You know, like I said, these casting things that just don't then pan out and you go, interesting. So the other yeah. thing that really struck me watching it was that very quickly I went, oh, this is clearly had, has been designed to, to get the American market involved, mm-hmm. um, particularly if they were funding it. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, but again, there's I think it, that has historically been like a new who thing that, you know, we have American locations and we have, you know, American actors because uh, this is something that sells in the States. So therefore, you know, um, that's kind of associated with that, but it certainly goes back further. And I understand mm. why it would be the case because there is just so much more money in things that are going to sell well in other markets, predominantly in places like America where there's lots of money in it. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, Do you think uh, it's a strange choice to have Sylvester McCoy there? Because obviously Doctor Who is it's quite big in America now, but at the time it was very much a kind of a niche thing. So it was primarily the original series was shown on PBS and it had quite a sort of hardcore cult following, yeah. um, but it wasn't really widely known to the great greater public. Um, so to have your lead character turn up and then immediately die... <laughs> Uh, is a slightly unusual decision. It is, but so much like obviously, you know, we've spoken before about the fact that the the so what you call it reincarnation, mm. <laughs> the regeneration <laughs> of the Doctor was not something that was planned out miles yeah. ahead. It wasn't, you know, intended. It wasn't in an original Bible of what the Doctor is at the start. Mm. Um, but it is, I think, an important part of who the character now is in terms of fandom and mythology. Yeah. Um, because obviously the regeneration is is uh, a kind of turning point for lots of lots of bits of the the, the show, and if you're going to have a regeneration, then you were going to have to have somebody die either at the start or the end. And if you were hoping to use it as a springboard, it wouldn't have made sense to to kill off Paul McGann at the end. No. Um, so I kind of see it, but I mm-hmm. also understand how strange it must have been coming in blind and not really understanding, um, because. You, you certainly get a feeling, or having said that, I'm not massively familiar with Sylvester McCoy's Doctor, but hmm. you kind of get a feeling that, you, that you're seeing quite an eccentric character. There are obviously lots of in-jokes um, 
like I did get the thing about like the jelly babies and the 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 um, yeah. and the yo-yo and stuff like that. It's quite a lot of continuity stuff just thrown in there, sort of fan service, which. But you know, it's hard because it's not that that didn't that we didn't get that with the the uh, ninth Doctor. Like there was lots of stuff in there that you wouldn't get if you didn't get. Um, it's it's hard. I don't know. Like clearly, it wasn't a particularly successful springboard. So perhaps that was part of the. Well, problem. It did really well in the UK. It got really good um, audience ratings on the BBC. Well, that's um, good. But Fox put it up against the last ever episode of Roseanne. Ah. <laughs> um, and that effectively killed it in America. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I, I don't... I think you would have had to drastically change the story mm. if you didn't have him involved. Yeah. Or you could have had... You would have had to cast some other random person at which point the number of lives would have gone out the window. Mm-hmm. And we all know how... how or number of regenerations... <laughs> out the window and we all get very upset about that well um, i mean it doesn't make me <laughs> chuckle when you see sort of fans getting quite irate about new things being introduced in doctor who and you think well it's happened so many times before you know yeah you just gotta roll with it and uh well let's face it, it. A, a massive point of or a massive plot point in the plot of this film mm. was that the doctor had never opened this eye thing that was just in the room next door <laughs> to the main console. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I think a lot of how I view it obviously comes from where I at, where my mm. fandom sits and that I know much more about the new who than I do about the old. Yeah. Um, but in some ways, like I kind of loved the TARDIS because it, I kind of oh, just, the set like, is beautiful, isn't it? They were, well, it's, it's the most nineties set in the world ever. But yes, like, you know, I mean, just like you could just see that sitting on a nineties film studio, like it just. Anyway, the console is really beautifully put together. The console is beautifully nice. done, and I like the fact that there was like you know here's a TV screen. Oh, we've seen that in Yahoo. That's not uh-huh. you know because people complain about all of this stuff, or like yeah. buttons that appear to do nothing, or mm-hmm. like weird bits of of uh, mechan mechanization that are in the console or on the console, and mm-hmm. all of those things were there. Um, and I, like I kind of I love the fact that it felt a bit more homely. Like yeah. it felt very much like they'd stepped like into an estate home, like into a. Yeah. A country estate as opposed to into a TARDIS, which happened to be bigger. Well, that's um, the thing. If you're watching it for the first time, I think I remember covering this story for the Blue Box podcast back in the day. And I think uh, JR, one of my friends who's the main guy behind that, had said at the time that if you're watching this for the first time, you see this guy sat in this what looks like a big stately home. And there's this image of a blue box hurtling through space and you're not. You know, if you've never seen the show before, would you necessarily put those two things together? No, possibly not. And that's quite interesting in and of itself. I thought Mm. they did it like the mini Star Wars bit at the start where they're like, oh, there was this guy. There was this evil guy. There was this evil guy who wasn't really dead. And we put him in a box. Um, So, again, as somebody who's not overtly familiar with that bit of the master's story, I was like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> like did you I think it was weird that he had those sort of funny eyes I spent quite a lot of time wondering how they'd done it um, <laughs> I so I like I knew that there was a period whereby the master hadn't 
had kind of run out of regenerations and was trying yeah. to like borrow other people's bodies. So I don't know has that happened in another previous story so as well. I think it's meant to be a bit of continuity from the very last story that was shown in the original run of the series uh, with Sylvester McCoy featured Anthony Ainley as the master, and they end up on this planet um, with these cheetah people, uh, and if you stay on that planet you eventually become a cheetah person and uh uh, at some point in the the story Anthony Ailey turns to the camera and he's got these pointy teeth and cat's eyes so I think it's meant to kind of uh buy into the continuity from that so at the end of that story Mm. is he like defeated and without any regenerations well or... what you need to know about the master is that he <laughs> he's never dies really dead. pretty much every time you see him and he always comes back and there's yes. not necessarily always an explanation for why he's come back or how he escaped but, oh well you know, I'm, like, I'm quite happy to accept that i just i was slightly <laughs> perplexed by the fact that he was some kind of weird sloppy goo inside a box it yeah, should be that noted. was very strange i mean that's not something that we'd really seen before i think it was just a chance oh. for them to show off the, the sort of special effects budget but again to... it just felt so 90s mm, uh, like mm. it's all about indiana jones like with the box that's breaking yeah, apart yeah. like i do realize that some of these references i'm here are not actually 90s but they're associated <laughs> with my memory of that period yeah um but yeah as somebody who doesn't really like snakes there were one or two bits where i was like oh oh i'm not really loving that oh i'm not really loving that um yeah so it just that that felt i can imagine that would be quite hard to get your head around if you didn't know any of the mythology mm. Um, once you kind of once you know this is the doctor and this is the master and that the master is always trying to get one up on the doctor and yeah. there's this thing about regenerations and limited numbers of regenerations because you have to have all of that in place yeah before any of the rest of it works mm-hmm. because it's then all about the master lying to somebody and mesmerizing people. That mm. definitely seems to be a thing. To, the spitting of the acid, I was like, I don't understand this, really. Yeah, that was a bit weird. I mean, there is um, a whole thing right from the very start of The Master where he can hypnotise people. Yes, so I that's... thought that might be a thing. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, the Doctor kind of does it to a certain extent as well. Mm. Yeah, Just in a, a slightly more or less sinister fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a bit more about... I'm going to just talk you into this thing with a series of like little quips and all of a sudden you've given me the thing I was looking for and you don't really understand why you've done it um, kind of fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there were one or two bits that I was like, right, okay. That, that's... So what did you make of Eric Roberts as the master? Um, I think he was pretty good. Like He just he looked like the Terminator though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think until glasses, he got it? into his final get-up, when he got into his final get-up, I was like, I now feel better about this. Hmm. Um. And I quite like the idea that, you know, there was this young guy who had been completely convinced without being hypnotised that this was somebody who was trying to do the right thing. Because, you know, you often, it, it's good to get a reminder that, you know, the doctor is often trying to convince random people that he's a good guy trying to do the mm-hmm. right thing. And actually, he is, but he might not be. Um, so that worked quite well for me. One thing that struck me watching this again for the first time in a while was there's some really dark moments in it yeah and i like but again sorry to heart back to this but like it just it's that those 90s films that Mm. the graphics aren't great but all of a sudden something quite disturbing happens that you're kind of like where did that come from him on the operating table and that's really 
Yeah. So I will come back to this later, but I've watched okay. a lot of ER recently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but and it was so funny because again, it's about the same period. Like '96 mm. was kind of peak ER. Yeah. Um. And it just felt like very badly done ER. Mm. And like the the um. Oh, what's her name? That's awful. His companion for the episode. Grace. Yes, Grace. Grace. Yeah. Like this idea that, A, you're going to have your beeper go off in the middle of an opera, and then you're <laughs> going to go and perform this random surgery in a ball gown yes, without but having looked at the gives her the, the opportunity to run in slow motion whilst wearing a shiny ball gown. So, you know. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, it wasn't my favourite moment. Um, mm. I think particularly this idea that, you know, she was they were trying to put in a probe to get a reading on his heart yeah. She got the anatomy wrong because she hadn't looked at the X-ray. Mm. And if she's I think been asked they assumed to it was a double exposure, didn't they? Yeah, but she's obviously been asked to come in and do this thing because mm. they realised there's something weird. Like, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't uh, that. that the, the you have to suspend the old disbelief there for a while. Yes, the medical science was somewhat. You think they give up after about his third or fourth time of waking up on the table and sort of well, saying, that's "Don't the other do this. Thing. You're gonna kill me." Isn't it? You're like you don't. <laughs> I I certainly would not want. Yeah, the whole that that whole bit is slightly distressing. Mm. Um, I also don't know where the doctor became super strong and managed to like beat his way out of a freezer. Because mm-hmm. he he like dents the steel door, and maybe that's just me. I don't associate the doctor with super strength, but. Yeah, well, I think they're riffing off Frankenstein, aren't they? Because they've got the the movie playing yeah, while that's I did, going actually, on. Actually, I did quite like that. I think. Yeah. Um, so again, for me, my experience of regeneration doesn't involve somebody being dead. Mm. Like the whole point seems to be that you need to allow yourself to regenerate before you die. Mm. Um, and I know that there's a line about the fact that the anesthesia interrupted the process. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm like, well, if he's dead, then he's not anaesthetized. So, <laughs> but again, that could just be my medical science brain going too far into it. So yeah, uh, you do have to suspend some things. Um, yeah. But as a concept, I quite like. I lo- I love the bit where he appears and his toga looking quite hot. Um, mm. it, there's a bit of a Jesus thing going there, definitely. Yeah, you think so? Well, you know, it's fight. It's, it's very there. subtly done. Yeah. Oh yes, very subtly done. <laughs> <laughs> Attractive man in shrouds, it rises from the dead. Now, <laughs> seeing as you obviously have taken a bit of a shine to Paul McGann, what did you think of his, um, in inverted commas, hair? So it looks better in some places than it does in others. Mm. Um, I think. Some of the promo shots look really good. Um, yeah. The screen cap that you included when you originally tweeted about us doing this episode, he just uh-huh. looked like a hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he wouldn't that, look out of place, would he? Well, he wouldn't. He's a bit tall. But, um, yeah, well. Yeah. I think given his general style, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind it. I'm also not upset that they cut it for um, the night of the Doctor, because I think mm. if they tried to replicate him as he appeared in the film, yeah, that would have ended poorly. Like well, I do I think, think he had longer hair because I don't know. Have you seen With Nail and I? Yes, he's in that, uh, and he's got fairly long hair in that. And he, for a lot of his roles, he had longer hair, so they kind of assumed he'd have longer hair. 
and that's what they wanted. And he turned up on the first day and his hair was really short, like um, Christopher Eccleston's. Oh, wow. So they had to then fashion Put in a this, wig. like, dodgy wig. Yeah. Oh, okay. That kind of makes sense. Um, I Like, I don't hate it. I think it mm. works. And I think particularly how he finds his costume works quite well, which amused me a lot because it reminded me of Matt Smith in the hospital yeah. locker room going through all uh-huh. the things. Um, Which again is I, another callback to John Pertwee from the old series because that's how oh, he gets it? his gear as well. So oh, I think I've seen that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I, I like I like those kind of continuities. I quite like mm-hmm. the idea that you know it was a fancy dress or like lots of people had fancy dress costumes and he's like throwing yeah. away like a Nixon mask and stuff, <laughs> which in and of itself could have been quite funny. Well, yeah, it would have been a, a different look. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I quite I quite enjoyed that, and it certainly as a look, it works quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quite the way that his confusion is done when he's in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, and like the 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 fact that he was different camera work, and you get to kind of you feel that I think works quite nicely. Yeah. Um, and again, if you suspend the disbelief about the fact that he's found all these clothes, but you can find a pair of shoes. Um, or take the tag <laughs> off his toe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I quite I, I did quite like that as a concept that he was just kind of there, and that these people would kind of like drift in and out of his focus. Because I think, mm. from my experience of the Doctor, a lot of his relationships seem to be a bit like that. Yeah. Like something about somebody just kind of rings a bell. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might not like them, but he's suddenly quite interested in them. Yeah. Or in, so, so seeing these different faces kind of float in and out kind of made sense. Um, I quite like that. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of mirrored with him, sort of the regeneration thing is mirrored by the master or the goo snake or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> taking over Eric Roberts. Uh, and the scene where he takes out his wife is pretty brutal, isn't it? Yes. As is like the bit where he randomly like tears his fingernail off oh yeah oh fun fact uh his wife uh in the show is played by his real life wife <laughs> getting to more about his snoring i like it yeah um yeah so i think that was one of those bits that i was like i don't i don't quite understand what tone it was they were going for mm. and they didn't then really use the fact that the body was breaking down in that way again, I don't think. No. Like, towards the end, he's kind of, like, clearly flagging a bit, but none of this kind of, like, old bits of me are, like, rotting and, like, I'm having to tear them off. No, there are are a couple of old uh, original series episodes where he's really, he's like a walking cadaver. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, yeah, they'd already kind of done that, so... um... Okay. But yeah, I think um, at the time he seemed really OTT. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think he's. I I quite enjoy the performance. I think it's fun. He does go super crazy camp once he gets his Gallifreyan gear on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think um, overall, I think the cast is pretty good. I think yeah, Ji So, who plays Chang Lee, mm. is is decent. Yeah, I think he's he's believable. I think mm-hmm. um, so. Despite my my challenges with Grace, um, <laughs> I, like I think she, she plays the foil very well. I think, yeah. and she's she's got 
so the last time we spoke, it was about um, Tomb of the Cybermen. That's right. Um, and I was complaining about how awful all the women were. Mm. <laughs> and how none of them had any kind of nice about them at all. So she definitely does. Um, yeah. So they give her, A, some intelligence, and B, she has some stuff to do. Yeah. Um, and she's also quite good at... She is a good foil for him because at various points she's like, nope, nope, nope. And then she's like, right, well, we're just going to have to manage this crazy person until I can get them into the psych world. <laughs> and then, obviously, as things progress, she then buys into the story. Yeah. Um, but course, I quite enjoy that. Controversially, there's the, uh, well, at least there two is a kisses. kiss. Yes. I know. Oh, it's so funny. These are the things that I suddenly go, <laughs> and people moan about stuff all the time. It's so yeah. funny. And, you know, yeah. you. Like, does that mean that they don't consider this film to be canon either? Or, no, well, you know. no, I think that's probably a slight overreaction. But yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, it was a big deal back in the day, but I don't really see what the problem is. And I think, you know, if you look at the new series now, it's it's pretty much expected. Well, I think... The, so I... It, this is a difficult one for me. I, I am happy for the Doctor's... I think as soon as we put the Doctor in a romantic relationship, it changes the story quite significantly. Mm-hmm. I think, with the exception of River, who has done incredibly well, I wouldn't really want to see the Doctor in a relationship on a regular basis. But there are other places where by kisses are kisses. So like, I love the mm-hmm. fact that Jack is effusively excited at <laughs> greeting everybody, and that's lovely. And this, for me, felt very much more like a... I've just woken up in this body and I don't really know what I'm doing, Kiss, as opposed to, yeah. oh, I want to bring you with me and we're going to travel forever and be companions and stuff, mm-hmm. Kiss, because that would make me, I think, uncomfortable. Because, um, let's face it, the power dynamics are slightly skewed between the yeah. Doctor and their companions. But, um, you know, as you said, she makes her own decisions and she decides not to come along, so... Yeah, and I don't... So I've only watched it once, but I didn't come away feeling like he was trying very hard to take mm. her with him. Mm-hmm. But I could have just missed something. Um, or maybe they're leaving it open, so if it did come back, he could... Well, depending on how popular she'd been, or yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting place that they've chosen to start it. I think mm. I think it's a really interesting to compare it to uh, Rose, for example. Yeah. Because Rose we get from Rose's perspective. So we are introduced to the Doctor the way that Rose is, which is yes. that she knows nothing mm. <laughs> um, and learns as we learn. Whereas they've almost done exactly the opposite thing here, which is give us more Doctor-y kind of back lore and a voiceover and a... Uh, yeah. Sylvester so McCoy sitting in a comfy thick, seat. Yeah. yeah. Which is fine, but it's, mm. it's just different, I think. What do you think of the overall plot such as it was it's it's relatively thin yeah um, i think because they spent so it's not a hugely long movie it's what an hour and 20 about that yeah um so which for movies these days is like disney length mm-hmm. um i think because they spent so much time setting up who everybody was mm. they didn't really have much time for much more plot yeah um, so the two main things, well, one main thing in two different ways, um, I suppose, is that the Master is determined to steal the Doctor's lives. Mm-hmm. And the Doctor is trying to get the TARDIS back up and running. 
Yeah. And that's kind of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then so a, 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 I quite enjoyed. the like beryllium I, clock becomes this really super important thing, and it's just, yeah. Yeah, like I, I, I don't think I minded that, but mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, would we have got more had it been two forty-five minute episodes of a regular series? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. we would. Yeah. Uh, and. So one of the things that kind of stuck out to me, I think, particularly with so obviously there was there was very nineties effects and gore kind of slightly unnerving stuff. Mm. But we do get unnerving stuff and we do get gore now, and that doesn't bother me. But I did think that like the torture rig that the doctor ends up in at the end. Yeah. Felt I think at the time I thought, oh that's quite a bit... uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether it was because it felt a bit S and M or a bit <laughs> I like. I don't know if it was supposed to be kind of period appropriate to the TARDIS and its kind of yeah. environs, or mm. yeah, it was all just a bit. I kind of half expected Sean Connery to walk in the back doing some ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I mean, like it, it just it felt like one of those kind of. I don't know. Um, so yeah, that kind of struck me as being slightly odd but the mm. plot itself was was it was inoffensive i think is the yeah, word that comes yeah. to mind there are some really nice moments i think the um the big chase scene where they they have to get on the police bike and he pulls the police officer's gun and threatens to shoot himself he doesn't let him have the motorbike yeah. there were definitely kind of there are some lovely moments and there were definitely some very doctory moments mm-hmm um, in his revelations about himself and his trying to oh, convince yeah. I mean, race. That's, that's another big bone of contention at the time was the, the whole thing about him being half human. Yeah, I uh, yes. I was like, I feel like I might have missed a thing. Which they chose has... not to refer back to okay. since, I as far thought... as I can think. Well, the first time I heard it, it was when he was busy kissing her and I assumed it was a wrong reading because he was mm. like attached to her. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, that feels, again, if you're trying to start a show, I suppose I can understand why you would do that because Mm -hmm. it gives you an avenue in. And particularly if there was a lot of stuff about trying to find his dad because, like, this idea that his parents hadn't been... um, That might have made sense at one stage. I'm not sad they've just moved away from that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I think it's uh, it's a bit of a curiosity. It's uh, a fun kind of gateway from the old series into the new it really is and i think like i am sad there isn't more of paul mcgann yeah um, the big finish stuff is fab yeah so which i'm interested to hear which ones you've heard so far or, it, or were there ones that really stood out for you and you thought oh yeah that's i really like that so i'm gonna borrow this from my recommendations at the end oh okay <laughs> sorry no no don't worry. no no don't worry it's fine um so um, on Spotify, the first mm. 50 Big Finish stories are avail- available free. That's really um, good. Which is amazing. Mm. Um, I think they did it as part of a birthday, so I don't know if they'll be there forever. Mm. Um, but they're great. Um, and as somebody who loves audiobooks um, but hasn't really delved into Big Finish... There are some really was good a, ones in the first 50 as well. There are some amazing ones. Mm. Um, so I kind of it took me a couple of attempts to try and figure out how to listen to them. 
mm-hmm. in terms of like which order. Yeah. Um, and actually, there's like a um, a playlist of all the Eighth Doctor stories in the first fifty, which mm. gives you quite a nice arc. Yeah. Um, which includes a Christmas one, the name of which I've forgotten. Oh, the bells of, of the times of midnight. There you go. Oh, that's great. Um, which that's is, by Rob Shearman. Who yeah, it's very well series. regarded, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Great story. So actually, I listened to that one first, mm. as one does, um, yeah. and quite enjoyed it. And then went very back. Very atmospheric. Followed Charlie's arc mm-hmm. um, through, um, and obviously you get some multiple Doctor stories as part yeah. of that, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. I have listened to one or two of the others. Um, I have to say, I picked and chosen a little bit about the Doctors that I know I like better. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just because of the sheer volume that they put out that, you know, not every single one is going to be an amazing masterpiece, but no, there are some successful. really good stories in there. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important for us all to acknowledge that um, just because I really enjoy One Doctor doesn't mean that somebody else might not, or mm. that just because I'm not hugely fond of One Doctor doesn't mean that it's not somebody else's favourite. And um, There's nothing wrong with that. They're just mm. We're all just different in that way. Yeah. Um, Shock I think is Big Finish possible. really... Sorry to interrupt you. I think Big Finish really um, helped Paul McGann cement his place in the fans' affections because if it had just been that one appearance, I, you know, as good as he is in it, I don't know whether he would have had such a big fan base. But uh, I think just the sheer fact that um, he was willing to come back and do the audios and do some really great ones, I think he's really got this quite a a dedicated legion of fans. Yeah, and I think, you know, his character has been, or his version of the Doctor, his iteration of the Doctor has been given much more depth through them. Mm, um, yeah. You just, you learn about the Doctor through the stories and the, or you learn about the different iterations of the Doctor through mm. how they, they react with people and how they interact with people and how they react when perhaps they do something they might not supposed to have and <laughs> things like that. Mm. Um, so for me, I think that's really important. And like I say, I, I've actually discovered uh, recently there's, if one visits sites like YouTube, um, mm. quite a lot of audiobooks of of the older Doctor Who stories. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm actually going to find it easier to consume them that way. Okay. Um, so I know I've said before on the show that I like I listen to quite a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> And for me, six hours of audiobook is actually easier to consume yeah. than six hours worth of slightly shonky, in some cases, TV. Yeah. <laughs> With the older stuff, you've got a couple of options, really, audio-wise. Um, you've got the audiobook um, readings of the, the Target novelizations, which mm. sometimes elaborate a bit more on some of the, the sort of finer details that weren't shown on the TV or there are uh, audio recordings with sort of linking narration of the TV versions. So you're effectively listening to the soundtrack of the the TV version with one of the actors just filling in the gaps of what's going on while there's no dialogue. That would make sense too. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's been kind of a, a an interesting kind of journey for me. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. So I think that's that's um, 
I would certainly recommend it to anybody who, who thinks they would like to hear more about the Doctor who mm, has yeah. a fondness of the Doctor. So yeah. yeah, no, he has... Um, they've really given him quite a few... I suppose you call them eras, really, within even within Big Finish. So when he originally started his run, they had a companion called Charlie, mm-hmm. uh, who was very popular. And um, then to sort of coincide with the, the new TV series, they very much made something in that spirit um, with... Oh, God, my brain is going to go now. Uh... What is she called? Bear me two seconds. Sheridan Smith. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So quite a big stage <gasps> I, I, actor. Oh, that is exciting. I yeah. am fairly confident that I could spend quite a lot of money on Big Finish. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, that is one of the, the downsides to it. There's just so much. Um, but yeah, if you, I mean, they, they are quite good. They do tend to do sales on a fairly regular basis um and they do downloads now whereas it always used to be cd when they first came out so i I am no go ahead no you carry on so i'm not a completionist as we have discussed before but i am (laughs) quite bad for going down rabbit holes (laughs) (laughs) as is witnessed by the fact that i think i own maybe 20 torchwood novels all of which were bought in quite a short period of time mm-hmm. um, and the tortured novels are not universally good by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination <laughs> but i get slightly addicted Once you started yeah and you know i've got i've got i've got tortured audiobooks i've got tortured novels nice. i it's like a can of pringles it's got no dietary value whatsoever, but once you pop, you just can't stop. Absolutely, and you're <laughs> almost only saved when you've consumed everything they've currently produced. Because yeah. when I step back, I suddenly see the rest of the world and realise there are other things out there. <laughs> and that's true for me for anything. Like I can spend, you know, three days obsessively reading this fanfic, and mm-hmm. it's only when I'm like forced to go to work or something, and I come back and I come back, and I'm like, actually, I don't want to read the next chapter because it's just not good. <laughs> But I need that distance. So uh, when there's a huge back catalogue, I can quite easily get myself in trouble. Um, yeah, no, but yes. uh, if you love audio uh, plays, it's it's really worth checking out because obviously they're probably best known for Doctor Who, but they've got up licenses for loads of different things. So they've done The Prisoner. Um, oh, they've just okay. released, I think fairly recently, Adam Adamant Lives. Um, so they like their sort of retro stuff. I think they've done some Jerry Anderson stuff as well, or they're in the process of doing that. So, um, yeah, there's quite a... Uh, oh, Callan as well from back in the day. The Avengers as well. Oh, wow. They've so obviously they've... found a niche and they do it very yeah. well. So I think... Mm. I'm glad they exist. Yeah, yeah. It's uh... So, interestingly, when I watched this, while they watched this this afternoon, afternoon or this morning mm. um and i immediately finished watching it and went and watched the night of the doctor yeah well you would wouldn't you well you know i've watched the night of the doctor before the 50th special mm-hmm. and i kind of didn't really get it well, i kind of <laughs> know i did get it but i was a bit like meh whatevs um because obviously it didn't mean an awful lot to me because no. i didn't come to it with the knowledge of who paul mcgann was and uh. how important that was um but it was amazing so i can oh. understand why people were so excited about it when it did land because it was just lovely to see him again 
Oh, it's so <laughs> thrilling. The, the day it was released, I think they dropped it a bit earlier than they intended to because I think it was going to get spoiled by one of the tabloids. So mm -hmm. they put it up on the, the BBC website. And uh, I'd kind of heard rumours that he might be doing something for the 50th, but I didn't really know what. Um, so I had no idea that he was going to be in it. And, well, I think uh, it was a really nice way to do it without... Because while it would be lovely, like now, I would love to have seen him as part of the official show. Mm. I also know you can't really do that in the same way you couldn't have had all the doctors that are still alive yeah. involved because it just would have got ridiculous. Um, that said, have you seen something called the Five-ish Doctors? Yes, and it's oh, lovely. It's um, like even as somebody who was not particularly au fait with all of the old doctors, I just loved yeah. it. It was just yeah. it was it was made with such love. Yeah, so sweet. Um, and that for me is the key factor with all of these things. I think the mm. fact that so it's quite easy to be cynical. I think about some of the the actors' involvement in the fandom. Um, mm. I am. Um, inclined towards cynicism when it comes to things like um conventions and fan expos oh. um, and not because i think in a, certainly the ones that are fan organized i don't think that people are, are, are taking advantage but for me this idea that you pay 80 pounds to stand next to somebody for like 20 seconds yeah so somebody could take your photo it it, mm -hmm. it just makes me slightly uncomfortable and again if you have the money and you're happy to do that then go for it yeah, and yeah. enjoy it but i'm always like you know, why are they there like you know like how much money are like you only like yeah. Whereas particularly in Doctor Who, and I think we see it in Star Trek as well, that actually a lot of those actors clearly care about the fandom. Mm. Um, whether they would consider themselves fans of the property or not, they have invested in the culture and the the people who are who are very passionate about it. And for me that that means so much. And the five ish doctors is like the classic example. Like a load of guys clearly not making a lot of money out of this process <laughs> generally just arsing around well peter davison um had a pretty good track record at this kind of stuff because he's a, a relatively regular attendee of the big doctor who convention in, in la called gallifrey one yes and uh i think there have been a couple of occasions where he was due to be there and then because of work commitments he couldn't go Oh, bless. Ironically, I think one of those was in a theatre production with Sheridan Smith. Oh. Uh, so he would do these rather cute little, I think you can find them on YouTube, little videos, um, like mini movies to explain why he couldn't be there, but in character and uh, with lots of little humorous uh, cameos by other people. Yeah. And, uh, they're worth checking out. And I think that's just like the, the genesis of this. This obviously spiralled into... The fact that, as you say, the older guys weren't all going to get a look in when it came to the Day of the Doctors. So I thought it was a really touching little project. And it was made, like you say, it was made with such love. Um, and I and adore I, it. I think it's great. Yeah. And I think so for the Night of the Doctor, I think for me, that is possibly, it's one of the things that gives you the best insight into the creator's love for the thing as well. Mm, yeah. Because you didn't really need it. No. It, like, I understand it was done very quickly and on a bit mm. of a kind of shoestring. Um, but it just adds so much to what you see. And for me, it's even the, the care that was taken with um, Paul McGann's appearance. Yeah. Like, the they haven't... beautiful. 
the costuming is beautiful and it is close mm. enough to what he was wearing in the movie that you see the yeah. connection as it's clearly the same character mm-hmm. um but not the same character and i just i think it was it was really beautifully done and i mm. i i love those kind of little snippets so yeah i'm very happy having watched it it is what it is um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I, I I will be surprised if I ever see anything that makes me feel so much kind of nineties nostalgia. But you know, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, I'm glad we've given you a little uh, trip back to your childhood. Yes. So do, you, do you want to rate it? Um, I don't think I can. Mm. Can I? I think it just is a standalone, and I'm happy it's to have seen thing, it, isn't it? Um, but yeah. the, the Eighth Doctor is definitely up there, and like my. I was going to say top five, and then I was trying to think about who the rest of the top five were, and that got very messy. But no, the Eighth Doctor is certainly one of my favourites. I think mm. so. There was a whole clamour after the the Night of the Doctor came out of people saying, "Oh, they should give him his own series, so you could have it running concurrently with the oh. whichever was the the Doctor at the time." You see, there would be something lovely about that. I'm kind of hoping that we might see him at the sixtieth, maybe. Yeah. Obviously, time's Maybe. running on, and it's uh, it'd be a shame. But I think, yeah, he'd be great. I, I think he, I think the fans would love it if he did come back. I think for me, that would probably be because obviously, how how to put this politically? Some people have passed on, obviously, yeah. um, and there are some of the the actors who we still have who are not as young and fit as they once were. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Paul McGann, I feel like, is in that kind of slightly. Yeah, ageless still, stage that he could get, get away, away with it. it. Yeah, um, and we could see that quite nicely. And he, he has worn pretty well, hasn't he? He has. He's, he's a very attractive <laughs> man. <laughs> I'm not going to lie; that's part of the reason why I love him. Um, he, I, I personally, I find him more attractive without the Hobbit hair. But we'll move on. Well, um, quite. There's so yeah, I can see him as the elder statesman in a five doctors equivalent mm. kind of thing. I think he could do that quite nicely. Yeah. Um, because we've used, um, oh, is it David Bradley? Yeah. Um, as the first Doctor on a couple of occasions, and he's done it very well, but I would be yeah. sad if we went back to that pool. Mm, yeah. Um, so I feel like if they're going to do, because again, and you never know, we might get Christopher Eccleston back this time, and but I still think somebody who has got a little bit more history and a little bit more legacy would be lovely to see mm, involved yeah. in that. It's only a few be. more years. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's it. It's, it goes so quickly, doesn't it? It's slightly terrifying. The 50th was longer ago than I would like it to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked for a, to see if anyone had any um, thoughts on it, just from the listeners. And uh, we've had a couple of people write in, which is very kind of you. Thank you for doing that. Mm. Uh, first up is Mark Atkinson from the Prog to Who podcast. Uh, he says, I love Paul McGann as the Doctor. He's still one of my favourite Doctors. The TV movie was a mixed bag, but overall it was a glimpse at what could have been. It's flawed, but I still think it deserves a strong 8 out of 10. That's fair. I, I will I will agree with that, Mark. Yeah, you can't, can't argue with that. Nope. Mark is such a top chap, and if you haven't yes. listened to Prog to Who, why not? Um, yeah, uh, just search for Prog to Who, P-R-O-G-T-O-R, Who. Um, it's a great podcast. Um, Lindsay is familiar with at least one or two of the guys on that show because they're on Trek This Out as well. Yeah, um, so there's a lot of a lot of a, a lot of cross pollination. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, and I am particularly pleased that Mark is enjoying this season of Doctor yes. Who more than he yeah, enjoyed the it's last. It's nice to see him back on board again, isn't it? So it that's is. Good. 
That's good. And we've also had some feedback from Jeff, Jeff Waddell. Thank you, Jeff, for uh, for writing in. He says, looks great. Uh, ironic that the great game player, number seven, I, Sylvester McCoy, dies. Well, it leads to him to die in a random act of violence. Eric Roberts isn't half as bad as what fandom says. Yes, he's a little over the top, but my goodness, he's less so than what was to follow. Brackets, John Sim, I'm looking at you. <laughs> there. Yeah, you can't really argue with that. I have to say uh, that the doctor being sh- or the doctor being sh- yeah no the doctor being shot did kind of throw me. I was like, mm, I felt yeah, like it could be, I could be a, a it, yeah. It felt very odd, but it's still. Yeah. Uh, McGann is brilliant, giving us a glimpse of what could have been. The story, however, is a mixed bag, but that's not really the point. This is a worthy intermediary between classic and new who. Smiley face. Yeah. I think uh, he's nailed it there, hasn't he? Yeah, I think we agree with that. Thanks for that, Jeff. Um, So, yeah, I I think um, if you haven't checked it out... um, I'm not sure if it's on BritBox because I don't know. Are you aware of BritBox, Lindsay? I am aware of it. I do not own it because as a single no, person, I, I feel like there is a limit to the number of subscriptions yeah, services me, yeah. I can justify. Uh, but they have a whole bunch of the, the classic series. But I think because of the whole thing, the fact it was a joint thing with Fox, I don't think that is one of them. So you'll have to seek it out on DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, but it's certainly worth a look. I think it's it's entertaining if you're if you've been a fan of the new series and uh, you want to go back and see some of the older Doctors, I think it's worth it. And the Blu-rays and DVDs are worth paying not too much for these days because they've come down quite a bit from what they used to be and they have tons of extras. So if you're a bit of a nerd like me and you like all the added value material, then uh, it's really worth checking out because there's some great documentaries and stuff on there. So yeah, and I think it's... Quite easy to access, I would say, uh, compared to some of the older stuff. Um, so yeah, if you don't feel yeah. like you know an awful lot about older who, then I think you could yeah. probably dive in I quite mean, quickly. They do chuck in an awful lot of uh, past references. It's not, it's not a big part of the plot, so you don't have to know all the the backstory. Uh, but yeah. it's just you know a bit of extra fun if you if you do know these extra things. Excellent. So I think that's uh, it's definitely worth checking out. We had a question from a listener, Lindsay. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, a brain teaser, this one. Uh, how many books do you think are in the TARDIS? Oh, this is a fundamentally unanswerable <laughs> question, I think, because at what point in time are we talking about the TARDIS? Because well, uh, surely uh, there are no fixed points in this well, no, kind of I question. The TARDIS is infinite, isn't it? So... Yeah, precisely. Um, I would like to think it's got its own like Bodleian Library. Um, oh, that would be amazing. We did have a be. glimpse, didn't we? In there's a Matt Smith episode called "Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS." Yes. And they do show you a library in that, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I think so. And there's uh, definitely references to did the library not fall into the swimming pool? Yeah. Uh, at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> um, I so. Because obviously we've just watched this uh, this film, I just kind of I, I kind of just I'm so used to now there being a greater feeling of kind of like having to travel to get to places and corridors and kind of infinite space in the TARDIS. <laughs> I was kind of like, but I can imagine that there being little rooms off that TARDIS that kind of lead you into other little rooms and down kind of stone passages and into priest holes and stuff that. 
would lead to all sorts of stuff. And there's bound to be books hidden in every crevice. Well, I think that would probably be the ultimate thing for my wife if she happened to cross the street and saw a police box there and David Tennant stuck his head out and asked her to come along and they had a massive library. I think she'd be more than happy with that. (laughs) The library would be the deciding factor. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So thanks, Ashley, for that. Ashley Mason, thanks for the question. Um, So we're going to go for a break and then when we come back uh, we're going to be looking at some recommendations for our listeners. Yes. You have just entered a new dimension of play. Star Trek The Next Generation. Action figures, phaser, space sets and Enterprise. Their mission to boldly go where no one has gone before. Go with them. Star Trek The Next Generation, a world of action and adventure now in your galaxy from Galoob. And welcome back. So now it's time for our recommendations for our listeners. Uh, So, uh, Lindsay, I'll let you go first. What would you like to recommend this time around? So I have one Doctor Who thing, um, which is um, on the back of what we were speaking about earlier about kind of uh, audiobooks and things like that. I found a really lovely fan-made... kind of Christmas specials, not very seasonal, I'm afraid, um, okay. called uh, Doctor Who, The Twelfth Day. Oh, right, okay. Um, and it's by a guy who does impersonations and voice work, mm. and it's incredible. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as and obviously, clearly, there's a licensing issue, and I don't uh, I don't in any way recommend that anybody does anything <laughs> with it. However, um, it's definitely worth listening. So the guy's called Chris Walker-Thompson, Okay. Um, and if you just type in Doctor Who the Twelfth Day, um, it should come up. Um, so plot aside, I just think his work is really good. Um, oh, and even be intriguing. So definitely, definitely worth a wee listen. Okay. Um, and then on a more generic kind of sort of nerdy front, um, I'm going to recommend All Four, uh, which is Channel Four's on-demand service. Oh, yeah, no, it's great. It's really um, good. Which. You do kind of have to tolerate the adverts with, uh, yeah. which is slightly problematic. However, they've just got such a great pantheon of stuff on there just now. Yeah, it's a big old catalogue, isn't it? Um, so I have recently, for the first time, watched all of ER. Wow. Uh, yeah, it turns out there's quite a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to the point where I probably stopped watching last time and went, I'm not really loving it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and pushed on for another six seasons. Um, wow. Not quite. Not quite, um, <laughs> but I have got to the end. And as with everything, it cycles through. So you kind of slightly fall out of love with the main characters or your character that you like has left. And you're like, oh, I'm not really convinced about this. And then all of a sudden there'll be a plot line or a new character that you are more excited about and you re-engage and then it, it flags again. Um, so yes, um, but definitely that's worth a watch. And also I'm going to say uh, Drop the Dead Donkey. Uh, oh, which... that was great back in the day, wasn't it? <laughs> Well, I was a little young for it when it was technically being released live, uh-huh. but one of my friends had Paramount Comedy Gold or something, oh, yeah. um, and they showed a lot of it on that. Um, and because all of the episodes are prefaced with, this episode was recorded in a week where XXX happened, um, then we always managed to understand what the jokes were about. Mm, I was going to say, does it still translate because it was very much of uh, sort of satirical stuff about the events of that week so whether that still translates 
in I think it a modern audience today. Enough. It's uh-huh. not as timeless as, you know, Yes Minister, mm-hmm. where the problems of politics, I suspect, are very similar to what they were in the 70s and 80s. Um, but it does work, I think. And there's some great acting in it and some great writing. Um, and I really enjoy it. So I'm definitely going to recommend those two. And if you're looking for something a bit more contemporary, um, No Offence okay. um, is a bit challenging. Um, it's quite a gritty crime drama with a lot of humour in it. Right. Seems like an odd way to describe it. And the first season in particular is amazing and is, how would you describe this, accidentally female protagonist-led? Like, that's mm. not what it's about. But okay. actually, you look around about halfway through the season and realise there are very few men. Um, but it's very, very funny and also slightly terrifying. Um, mm. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend that as well. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, I've got three. And my first one is going to be, uh, it's kind of, well, it's a little bit sad now, actually, because I bought this before uh, he passed away. uh, But um, I've recently got the Monty Python Complete Flying Circus Blu-ray box set, which is Mm. an arm and a leg, I'm not going to lie. But since Terry Jones is passing, I've been... uh, dipping in and out of that and uh, it is glorious they've done an amazing job of they've taken the original film material and up it and it looks absolutely pristine and they've also put a lot of stuff back in again so there's little bits that got censored back in the day and uh, oh, okay. they're they're back so um some of the humor isn't necessarily uh that politically correct for for today so you know it's um it's a mixed bag but oh god when they really get it right it's it's comedy gold there is nothing as remarkable as the bits of monty python that Mm. are still quoted ad nauseum by you know people my age people younger than us Uh who have inherited it if you're tempted to get it, um, I would definitely recommend. I stupidly bought it from a company that's renowned for not paying its taxes. And ah. uh, it turned up and whether it had been knocked around in the van or whatever, but the packaging inside was all broken. and oh, no. So that got sent back. And then just perusing, I realised that um, Network, who are the distributors, they have their own uh, website. And it was £30 cheaper, so um, wow. I got it from there instead. Um, so you can buy the series individually if you want to, um, if you perhaps don't want to remortgage the house. But uh, <laughs> if you're a fan, you won't regret it. If you've got a Blu-ray player, then uh, that's definitely worth a look. So I'll put a link in for that in the show notes. Uh, my next recommendation is for a podcast. And uh, it's a, quite a new one that's just come out. And it kind of ties back with what you've been talking about. You're dipping into uh, the Big Finish uh, back catalogue. It's called The Sirens of Audio. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's by a chap called Dwayne Bunny, uh, who's a fairly regular writer-inner to many a Doctor Who podcast. And uh, he has 
just put out his first episode, and that's looking at the Sirens of Time, which is the first ever Big Finish story. And that's going to be coming out semi-regularly, I think, from March. Um, so a few weeks away as we record this. Uh, it's a really good uh, podcast, very informative. And uh, yeah, I, it's always nice to give new people a bit of a plug. So I definitely recommend having a listen to that if you're interested in Big, uh, big Finish Audio. Absolutely. And on a similar note, uh, unfortunately, it's not in the first 50 releases. Uh, it's number 81. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but I've just been onto Big Finish's website and it's available for a princely sum of £2.99 oh, on wow. a download. That's a uh, dangerous price, though. Ooh, it really is. Uh, it's a story called The Kingmaker. Okay. And it's written by Nev Fountain, who uh, has written for things like Dead Ringers. So he's known for his comedy writing. It's a story featuring Peter Davison and Nicola Bryant, who played Perry in the original series um and it's um set during um the reign of richard the third and it's the whole thing about the the princes in the tower and what happened to them and uh it's really well played out and there are some really nice cameos and there are one or two appearances by people that you wouldn't normally have expected to be in a Peter Davison Doctor Who, which I won't spoil, but mm. it's, it's very funny. I found it quite a, an interesting story, and uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a look. So it's called The Kingmaker. If you go to bigfinish.com, it's uh, story number 81, and you can get it on a download for two ninety nine. so I would definitely give that a listen. I feel like I've just made a mistake by... Uh visiting the big finish site i'm, I'm gonna so put my sorry. phone away <laughs> when i can't pay my mortgage next month i know who i'm gonna come looking for i have yeah, another okay. bone of contention to pick with you oh i'm I so am... sorry no no not at all so when i uh, was earlier on in my er rewatch i uh i tweeted that i needed somebody else to write me some fanfic about this Oh. And nobody else had written it. And somebody whose name might have been Mark Cockrum uh, said that I should just get on and write it myself. So I've lost oh. several hours recently to that. Oh. <laughs> I'm oh. blaming you entirely. Oh, well. Uh, it's, you know, it's. I'm sure it was uh, well worth investing that time in writing it. You know what? I have enjoyed the process. It's fine. <laughs> if you want, I can put some links in the show notes. So if anyone uh, wants no, to... Uh, quite um, all right. Thank you. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will not subject anyone to that. <laughs> Lindsay, it's been great fun having you back on again. Um, really appreciate you taking the time out to come on and, and talk about Doctor Who again. Not at all. Thank you so much. So, yeah, before you go, uh, just make sure uh, you check out uh, Trek This Out. It's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all those other things. So, um, yeah, get on there and subscribe. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, it's a really nice mix of uh, voices you've got on the show. So definitely recommend it to our listeners. Thank you. Thanks very much. And uh, we'll be back fairly soon with some non-Doctor Who stuff. You'll be probably glad to know.
If you want to get in touch, you can email us at nerdologyuk at gmail.com or you can tweet us at nerdologyuk. We're also on Facebook, just type in Nerdology UK Podcast. And also now you can leave your audio feedback. So there's a link in the show notes, you can click on that. Or uh, if you're on the Anchor website listening to the show, there is a little button that says message and you just click on that and you can use your mobile phone or your computer and you can leave an audio message. 